raise your hand. If there is a lot of anxiety in your life, would you raise both of your hands? Hallelujah. We are not alone. I would uh, never want to make light of anxiety that we might feel or depression that we might experience, but it is helpful to know that you're not alone, that there are many of us, most of us, all of us who on some level wrestle with anxiety and feelings of depression in our life. And so we're all in good company when it comes to that. I'm so thankful that uh, the scriptures, number one, and Jesus in particular, would take the time to address the kinds of things that we experience and run into day in, day out in life. And uh, in our word, we get answers to the questions that we have in life and to some of the struggles that we have in life. And tonight is, is no different from that. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 34, a well-known passage on anxiety and trust. Last week, we learned that one cannot serve two masters. Pastor Fender taught on that particular passage. You will love one and hate the other or vice versa, but you just cannot be in both of those spaces at the same time. And so it's helpful to understand that that is the context for tonight's passage from Matthew 6 as well. And that is, it is connected to what Jesus is trying to teach us about possessions and about priorities in life. And what are the most important things in life? He's certainly not saying that money is not important. He's not saying that possessions are not important. But what he is saying is what is really important is the place that those things have in your life relative to your walk with Jesus and to your relationship with the Father. So how do you know if you are valuing possessions and money too much? How do you know that? Well, I think Jesus would say, well, you worry too much about it. That's how you know if it's taking too great a place in your life. You know, I looked up some statistics. Uh, folks love to talk about statistics and things. And so one about anxiety is that um, an average person's anxiety is focused 40% of the time on things that will, you got it, never happen. That's a lot, 40%. Um, 30% on things about the past that cannot be changed. 12% on things about criticism of others, mostly untrue, by the way. 10% about health, which gets worse with stress and anxiety. And then 8% about real problems that will be faced. Now, I wasn't great in math, but I think that's 92% of our energy is expressed in things that we cannot change. And Jesus wants to speak into the heart of that in this passage and say, I don't really want you to do that because it takes 
your attention and your affection in places that drive it far away from me. And I don't want that to happen to you. So I want you to see things clearly. There's a myth out there, I think, that says if we want to live well in this life, then we have to get ahead. Whatever that means, we have to get ahead in life. We're bombarded by culture and advertisements to invest here on earth to provide security in our lives. We're also told that by pursuing these things that the world provides, we will find peace, security, and a life free from anxiety. Is it true? Is it true? Does it work? Generally, no. It does not work. However, as Lutheran scholar Dale Bruner rightly points out, our anxiety is only increased as we seek those means of relieving it. If I just had more of this, if I just had more money, if I just had more retirement, if I just had more children, if I just had a better job, and the list goes on and on and on. And what it does is it actually increases our anxiety. Bruner says the more things we have, the more we fear their loss. And so the more we want in order to secure ourselves against this possible loss. At the root of the money question is the anxiety question. And so Jesus moves to the root issue of anxiety in our text here this evening. So let's open our minds and our hearts to the reading of God's word from Matthew 6. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, would you... Uh, take the truths of your Son and our Savior spoken in this text and encourage and challenge our hearts with them tonight that they might make a difference for us and how we love you and how we serve you and how we love one another, how we build this community called the church and how we live out the life and the faith of the gospel. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. 
So when you read this text, you can surmise that it leans toward comfort. You don't have to worry. Uh, Jesus is saying you don't have to worry about these things. But it leans toward command. In other words, don't be anxious about those things. So I want you to have comfort, Jesus says, and I don't want you to be anxious about that. And most of us are going, well, how is that possible? How can we do that? How can we do both of those things? Not be anxious and be comfortable with what we have and trust you in that. Three times in verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Or you can stop worrying about your life. He doesn't want us to worry about where we're where we're headed or where we came from. He wants us to celebrate what he's doing in our life and enjoy today because it has enough trouble of its own. Don't need to be worrying about other things. That great, great theologian Mark Twain had this to say. I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. That is not true for so many of us. We worry about things that actually never, ever come to pass. Why? Mostly because God provides the basics. Don't we believe that as Christians? That he is going to take care of us? Now, at first glance, one might say, oh, really? Is it that easy? Just made me think of that Bob Newhart clip where he is meeting with a client. And she's all fearful of getting locked in a box and buried in it. And he gives her the solution to the problem, which is, stop it! Just stop it! And if it were that easy, all of us would do it. We would just stop it. But it's not that easy. Are you saying, Jesus, not to worry what I'm going to have for dinner tonight? Are you saying, Jesus, I don't need to worry about which tie or which dress or which shoes to wear tonight? Are you saying, Jesus, that I shouldn't worry about my children or about my grandchildren? Are you saying that I shouldn't worry about my 401k in a struggling economy? Are you saying that I don't need to worry that relationships that seem so hard for me that it's okay and I shouldn't worry about that? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? You can fill in the blank. What he is saying is, The text can be troubling to consider the insensitivity of preaching or speaking this principle, first of all, to the poor. I think of my own time in Nicaragua and Haiti and and trying to preach a text like this in a context like that. It's very difficult. You have to be very careful and sensitive to where people are and how they're struggling and how God wants to meet them in those moments. Or you have the other side, those who have enough or everything that they need. They may believe they sought God's kingdom first, and because of this, they have prospered. Can this text be preached to either? Well, what does the text say? It doesn't say, don't be anxious about others' lives, what they will eat, about their bodies, about what they will wear. It doesn't say that. It says, don't be anxious about what you eat, and don't be anxious about what you wear. In fact, Jesus commands us, if we are his, to care for the poor, the widow, 
the orphan. No, what Jesus says is take your eyes off of yourself. Now, that's a hard word for some of us when we're in the throes of feeling depressed and when we're struggling with anxiety in our lives. That's a hard word to hear from the Lord, to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our lives, that somehow the anxiety that we're feeling is selfish. But Jesus wants us to take a look around and to see where we can provide. And one of the greatest and most beautiful ways to overcome anxiety is to give your life away to someone else, to do something for someone else. It's amazing how often that can just pull, you, pull us right out of those anxious moments. Part of the struggle for you and I, members living in the West, is that we're too preoccupied with food and clothes, aren't we? Again, Dale Bruner says this, Jesus is not anti-social, he's anti-selfish. It does not tell us to be unanxious about others, but to be unanxious about ourselves. In Tim Keller's wonderful little book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy, he writes this, We have gone the way of self-centeredness, and self-centeredness destroys relationships. There's nothing that makes you more miserable than self-absorption. So let's look briefly at the text here this evening. And there are three negative attributes that Jesus tells us related to worry and anxiety that we need to understand and fight against in our lives. Number one, in verse 26, Jesus says worry is unnecessary. Now, there was a rabbinic teaching method of uh, teaching from the lesser to the greater. And so if God takes care of the birds, Jesus says... If he takes care of the birds, and he does, they, need, they neither toil nor sow, but God takes care of them, won't he take care of you? The answer to that question is yes, he will take care of us. God is the creator of everything. He made it, he sustains it, and Jesus reminds us of this often forgotten fact that this is his world, and he loves his world. And he loves the people in his world. And he's going to protect us and he's going to care for us. That doesn't mean that no troubles will come our way. We know that's not true. But even in the midst of that, he will be there for us. And will walk with us through whatever we're experiencing in our lives. You see, the birds teach us something about reliance on God. Birds don't engage in agricultural processes, neither do they uh, starve, and neither are they idle. No one or thing works harder than a bird. Have you watched birds making nests? It's incredible. They are so task-driven. That's all they think about until they can get it done. And if it gets destroyed, they just go right back and they'll just keep, they'll do it again and again and again. They don't worry, they just do it. It's very interesting here to note that Jesus doesn't say their heavenly father cares for them, but rather your heavenly father looks after them. 
and he's looking after you and me as well. And then back to the rabbinical argument from lesser to greater, are you not of more value than they are? Yes, the psalmist says that you and I were made just a little lower than the angels. We're, we are the apple of God's eye. He loves us with an everlasting love. So he loves us more than the birds, and he cares for them and looks after them, and he will us as well. So not only is worry unnecessary, Jesus tells us it's also useless in verse 27. Worry cannot add a single hour or minute to your life or mine. In fact, worry may significantly reduce our lives. Here's the evidence. Stress was already known to exacerbate physical health problems such as increased risk of heart attack or diabetes, but there was a Yale study that provided the first concrete evidence that stress can have negative health consequences beyond any other mental or physical health conditions. A lot of people have felt it on a gut level that stress makes us age faster, and this study says, our study shows that it is true. The study found, however, that some lifestyle choices mitigated the negative effects. In other words, there are some things you can do to cut that short, to reduce the negative effect. Subjects who showed strong emotional regulation, that's just a fancy word of, you just, you know how to handle your emotional self, you're emotionally intelligent, who have skills in that area. Well, for them, they found less stress than others who are not so able to do that, who are just always fretting and worrying about this thing or the other. It's just kind of part of who they are in their personality. The most surprising aspect of the study is that resilience factors like emotional regulation can protect us not just from the mental effects of stress, but also from the effects of stress on our physical health. A Finnish study concluded lifespans might be reduced by 2.8 years by stress and anxiety alone. So those of you who raised your hand, both hands, it might be maybe over five years. But the point here is that it damages who we are. It damages our relationships. It damages our health. It damages the, the, the relationship that we have with the Lord. And Jesus doesn't want us to experience that. He wants us to have the freedom to live in the love that he gives us and the protection that he gives us and the way that he answers the needs of our lives. The Bible provides clear evidence that the past cannot be changed. Would you agree with that? The past cannot be changed. The future cannot be charted or known Therefore, anxiety about either is useless because it's not going to change it at all. Now here, Jesus is not saying you shouldn't prepare for the future. There are things you should do to prepare for the future, but he's not talking about preparing. He's talking about worrying. He's talking about anxiety. He's talking about not trusting me, the one who loves you and died for you. That's what he's talking about. It's fine to prepare for the future, but don't worry about it. 
Also, we see in verses 28 to 30 another illustration of lesser to, gra uh, to greater. This is not a recommendation for passivity or laziness, but rather an example of God's provision for us. God's not too busy to be bothered by such things as food and clothes for us. Yes, he is the creator of the universe, but he is also yours and my personal father who loves us. And he does care about what we have to eat and what we have to wear. He cares deeply about those things. But he doesn't worry about them. God is not too busy to be bothered by such things. Here's Martin Luther. Martin Luther has a way sometimes of thing, saying things that did just put it in wonderful perspective. He said, the birds and the flowers sing and preach to us and smile at us so lovingly just to have us believe. The birds and the flowers, they sing and they preach to us and smile at us so lovingly just to have us believe. Do you believe that God will take care of you? This illustration also shows us that God is not only concerned with our, our basic needs, but he is concerned with beautiful needs that we have. Beautiful things. I love this about God. There's a line in a hymn that says, He makes all things beautiful. He wants us to enjoy what He has created for us, the beauty of His creation. So, worry is unnecessary, it's useless, but it's also blind. Michael Green is helpful here. He says, It, it refuses to learn the lessons of God's providence taught us by the birds and the flowers, short-lived as they are, in their quiet dependence on their environment, they display that peace that should mark believers who know that behind their environment there is a loving heavenly Father. You think about that the next time you're, you're gazing at those beautiful flowers or you're looking at those birds and the quiet way that they go about their life and their business. Except maybe the birds early in the morning when they're chirping and hungry. God not only cares for our soul, which he absolutely does, but he cares about our basic needs that we have in life. He is the provider for both our bodies and our souls. In fact, that's part of the blindness that we have that fails to recognize his interest in this world, in our needs. And in our cares, in fact, this is partially responsible for what Jesus calls in this passage, little faith. At the end of every day, worry or anxiety is essentially a failure to trust God. John Stott said this, he said, A Christian's freedom from anxiety is not due to some guaranteed freedom from trouble. We know that but to the folly of worry, and especially to the confidence that God is our Father, that even permitted suffering is within the orbit of his care. We don't put God first in our lives, in our priorities and in our needs, but rather in all of these things, Jesus says. 
we do not seek first his kingdom. So we must consider which is more worthy of our devotion, trusting God or worrying about these things. And that really is the question. That really is what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Are you trusting God or are you trusting in all of these other things because you believe that somehow they will meet all of your needs? So the goal, I would say, is to put God in his rule at the top of the priority list and find out how well he takes care of us. We should try it more often. There's a very good chance we might live longer, happier, more fulfilled lives if we did. So that's our challenge, I think, tonight, is to test him and see if it's not true. See if that will not be true for our lives. Worry is pointless. Trust is everything. And there's good reason to trust. And yet there's still this nagging question. Well, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't take care of us? What if it feels like he isn't caring? Is Jesus simply throwing high platitudes out to encourage us? Is he uncaring and unfeeling himself to offer this life but not be able to back it up? Not at all. He understood. He suffered. He was hungry. He experienced being stripped of his clothes and his dignity and finally crucified in a brutal way. He does understand. He does know what we need. However, he never allowed these things to rob him of his lovingly trust in the Heavenly Father. And he believed that in whatever happened, ultimately, he knew it would be for his good. Do you believe that? Do you believe no matter what happens, that ultimately it'll be for your good? That somehow God will work in that? That's trust in this good and gracious God. He was and he is our example and this kind of faith over and against anxiety and worry that Jesus wants from us can be seen in this story, I think, of this 14th century mystic, Johann Tower. One day Tower met a beggar. He said to him, he said, God give you a good day, my friend. And the beggar answered, I thank God I never had a bad one. And Tower said, God give you a happy life, my friend. I thank God, said the beggar, that I am never unhappy. In amazement, Tyler asked, what do you mean? Well, said the beggar, when it is fine, I thank God. When it rains, I thank God. When I have plenty, I thank God. When I am hungry, I thank God. And since God's will is my will and whatever pleases him pleases me, why should I say I am happy, unhappy when I am not? Taller looked at the man in astonishment and said, who are you? He said, I am a king. Where then is your kingdom, asked Taller. The beggar replied quietly, in my heart. I'm a king in my heart because I trust in what God is and has done for me. We are to place God first in all aspects of our lives. Our ambition, says Jesus, is to put God first 
and live an unencumbered life devoted to our Heavenly Father who cares deeply for us. If we, if we have any measure of success in that, we will have less anxiety. We will be depressed less than we would otherwise be. And so I think Jesus is encouraging us and challenging us here tonight to seek first those things from him and believe that he really does care for us and will look after us. And as he says, all of those other things that we need, God will provide those. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray tonight for those who are feeling like you're not there for them. That you've left them in their anxiety, you've left them in their pain, you've left them in their hurt. Would you speak to them through the Holy Spirit tonight in a particular way? And let them know that you love them so much that you sent Jesus and Jesus would send this message to them and to us tonight that you, our God, cares for us. And that they would believe that in their heart and that it would make a difference for them. And that their stress level and their anxiety level would lower because they were trusting more and more and more in your goodness. Lord, I pray that for all of us here tonight. That as we learn to trust you in deeper and greater ways, your provision for us would become more profound to us. Not so much in how much we get but just that you would love us enough to care for us. Help us to see that, to experience it, and to live our lives in a gospel way in light of it. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.